Virginia is for families, all sorts of families. My family, your family, your neighbor's family, for families of all species, for beach chair sitting families and paddleboard standing families, for families that like to camp outside and the ones that would rather museum inside. Yep, we got plenty of those to choose from. For mountain hiking families and would rather hang out by the pool resort going families. Come to think of it, that's more my speed. So in conclusion, Virginia has all sorts of things your family could love. So come love it for yourself. Everyone is howling about Paws of Fury. It's the most fun comedy of the summer. I am your father. What? No, I'm not. <laughs> Michael Sarah. It's showtime. And Samuel L. Jackson. What the mother father kind of spaniel's going on here? Paws of Fury. Only in theaters this Friday. Ready PG. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. The Exxon is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and on Simul TV. For all the broadcast uh, information that you'd like on the Exxon Broadcast Network to see what shows we have at what time. And by the way, listening is always free at www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV, which is now available on Roku, www.simultv.com. Exxon Nation, my guest tonight is Dr. Audrey Irvine, and she is a psychologist and... Um, she has a postdoctoric work in the Department of Behavioral Medicine at UVA Medical Center. And uh, she has also ha- she's always had a lifelong interest in the paranormal that was spurred by her family experiences. Uh, experiences included paranormal events, including poltergeist activity, ghost psychokinesis, tele- uh, telepathy, precognition, and clairsentience in her children's generation. They had a remembrance of past life by her very young daughter. Her sister and her daughter perceive and or work with subtle energies. Joining me now is a Dr. Audrey Irvine. Doctor, welcome to the Exxon. Thank you for having me. Uh, wow, these are some experiences that you've had. What is the earliest uh, remembrance or earliest memory that you have of anything paranormal? Well, I think the earliest experience was the one with my daughter. Of, of course, I was a mother at that time, mm-hmm. but she was very, I mean, she was very young. She it was like two and a half, uh, hadn't been talking very long. Right. And one afternoon came and crawled in my lap and started saying, my mommy, my mommy, where is she? The men, the men, they coming, they coming. And oh, she boy. was clearly not in the same room with me. And of course, I'm like, I'm right here. I'm mommy's right here. And no, she was totally caught up in something else. And finally, she calmed down that day. But then the next day, she we were coming back and she was in her car seat. And she started again, it was at twilight. And she was started saying the men, the men, mm. they coming, I running, I running, where is my mother? And she said, I, uh, something about getting into the water or something. And, um, so I, I'm a psychologist, so yeah. I ended up doing sort of a PSTD thing with her and made little pipe cleaner dolls, and we right. did a drawing. And she, I had her show me where the houses were and where she was running and where she thought her mother was. And it seemed like she probably drowned 
Oh but as God. soon as we had gone through that, she was able to release it. <laughs> anyway. uh, uh, as a, as so a, that's probably mm. the earliest in terms of young young age in the family. So has the paranormal been part of your life uh, from very day one until today? Uh, you know, it's it's an on and off kind of thing, but uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just, growing up, my, I think my father was the center of a lot of the, what we thought at that time as ghost experiences. We had a lot of things happened around the house from the time I was fairly young. You know, um, sounds, disembodied sounds in the cabinetry, and we, my father would go and look and search. There was nothing. The piano would be closed, and notes would start playing. Or one day he woke up, and he has water. His fi- shoes were filled with water. <laughs> so, yes, we had this kind of ongoing poltergeist activity. And then on top of that, we had, uh, you know, just uh, – I had from probably first grade precognitive dreams. Right. And I would, you know, dream about where I was going to go to school, even though I had never mm-hmm. been there. And it frightened me because in West Texas, this is demonic or insane, neither of which is a very positive way of thinking about yourself. That's true, yeah. But, but isn't this more frequent now as we're discovering? And wasn't it as frequent back then? But why, why, why the taboo attached to it? Well... In Christian countries, it, it definitely comes from our history of uh, witch burning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had an inquisition in the Catholic Church where they began, you know, anyone who was not Christian, they were putting to the torch. And a lot of women, uh, and men too, I mean, they think somewhere maybe around 60,000 men and women were burned at the stake. So no mystic mm-hmm. was going to admit it uh, because it was lethal. Uh, even some of the saints, like Teresa of Avila, was brought forward in front of the Inquisition and grilled about her extraordinary abilities. But she was so uh, firmly planted in Catholicism that they finally let her go. Uh, so we have a very long history of, of defining extraordinary ability as being the devil. You know, I, I find it ironic that Christianity and Catholicism is based on the supernatural. Right, you but know, it has to be from God. Or, or does it have it, to be under their direct control? And I, and I do think that that yeah. is definitely a part of it, too. But we've always made, in many, many cultures, this differentiation mm-hmm. between miracles and magic. Magic was so often the demonic side, and miracles were from God. So if you could prove that it was you, your behavior right. was from God, and you probably did have to be under their control, then it was permissible. And, and yet today, the times have changed, thankfully, or starting to change, I should say. Yes, they are starting to change. Yeah. And I think actually, oddly enough, science has done more for making this change because we are beginning to look at uh, extraordinary abilities, the paranormal, mm-hmm. through the detached eyes of science. Uh, and that means we're letting go of a lot of these um, historical religious ties that are really holding us back from looking at this phenomenon. As a psychologist, um, how do you explain the paranormal? I think that it is, the research is showing us very Mm -hmm. clearly that it is an innate ability of all creatures. We even have research showing that little chicks 
can use psychokinesis that, um, you know, birds in their home, some of their homing abilities, uh, you know, dogs finding their way to, to, in one case, there was an interesting story about a dog, his master went off to World War One, I, I believe it was, and the dog was in Great Britain, and the dog disappeared, and it reappeared, it had managed to find its owner in, in the front lines of World War One. and I mean, how on earth, you know, if my family went off to California, if I don't have a GPS, I'm never finding <laughs> I hear you with that one. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's all it's it. You see it all mm-hmm. across the the spectrum from animals. Then what happens, I think, is it with the emergence or the development of the frontal cortex, the talking, analytical, judging mind. There's a suppression of our ability. We don't have those abilities that the animals have, except for spontaneously under certain conditions. But then with as we begin to use certain uh, certain tools, we begin to shift our consciousness and suppress that frontal cortex, and then we open ourselves to extraordinary abilities well beyond what animals can do. Are children more susceptible, or do they experience the paranormal more than adults do, or is it the other way around? I think children do, and partly is because the frontal cortex does not come online until really rational thinking is not fully engaged until they're around 12. I see. But rule-driven thinking happens around elementary school. But to have true analytical scientific thinking, it's like 12 or 13. So, yes, they're open to a whole world, and so they have imaginary playmates, they see lights and ghosts and you know, dead grannies, as a friend of mine says, <laughs> you know, they experience a lot of things. And we help them as adults to narrow their perceptual fields such that they begin to read that out of their lives, Isn't that even though the truth? it's still there. All right, Doctor, please stand by. You and I have to take our first break. And Nation. our guest this hour is Dr. Irvine Uh, Dr. Audrey Irvine. She is a psychologist. She's also the author of a book we're going to be discussing in the second segment of tonight's show. It's called Infinite Possibility. And uh, Dr. Irvine's book is available on Author House's website as well as Amazon.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com and on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. Hmm, these are interesting times, Exxon Nation. Is the veil between this reality and the other reality or realities becoming weaker? Is there a connection in the, the quest, the thirst that we're all experiencing when it comes to what is normal and what is paranormal? More questions, hopefully more answers. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
Exonation Dr. Audrey Irvine is our special guest, and she's the author of a very interesting book entitled Infant Possibility. And uh, Dr. Irvine, thank you very much for joining us tonight. And tell us a little bit about your book. What was the inspiration for you writing Infinite Possibility? Well, as I said, I grew up in a family in which there was Mm -hmm. a lot of different things going on. Right. Sort of caused me to say, what on earth is happening? Uh, And so over the years, I began, you know, in Christianity, we're taught that, you know, Christ does these things, walks on water and whatever, but that it's unique to him. And I wondered, is that true? And that's kind of a radical thing to to ask, at least from uh, the conservative Christian perspective. So I started looking cross-culturally across the different spiritual traditions, as well as what we have learned in science, uh, for common patterns that, you know, what kind of abilities do you see over and over again? This is kind of a classical cross-cultural kind of study to do. And it's a way, a different way of saying, you know, what is the reality behind this if we look across history and culture? So that's where I have landed and had a really interesting time finding these abilities that are found in every single tradition, um, you know, well beyond what we think of as paranormal abilities. Well, let me ask you, how would you define extraordinary abilities? Is it just PSI, or is there much more to it? It's not just psi. Um, it, it, it's usually uh, extraordinary abilities. I'm thinking of focusing on individuals, mm-hmm. and they are uh, they are abilities that are outside either fi- the physics laws of physics, or outside of what we think of people are capable of. Uh, so they're truly extraordinary. Um, in this, in this, in the traditional of our third wor- third D world, it sits outside of that. So that's what I think of as the, as the extraordinary. Now I understand that you um, you actually looked at or studied seven spiritual traditions, and which spiritual traditions were they? They were the major um, seven. You know, the east, uh, the eastern of Hindu Buddhism, mm-hmm. Taoism the Western uh, Abrahamic traditions of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. I also looked at shamanism and, and again, the scientific tradition. Were there any aha moments when you were looking at the, um, the spiritual traditions? I have to say that happened over and over really? again. <laughs> um, I was amazed at mm-hmm. the similarity of abilities Uh, And every time I stumbled across one, I'd be like, wow, (laughs) I just saw this in these other traditions. The other thing I was very surprised about uh, that I hope we'll talk about are the unique abilities which arise out of each special tradition that you and you don't see them in the other traditions. And why was that? That's interesting. Well, Uh, what well, what would these unique abilities be then, doctor? Well, um, what you're seeing is. for example, the Christian stigmata. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christians have an incredible array of, fi- of physical things happening to the body. The stigmata, uh, of course, are the wounds of Christ right. that open in the hands, chest, and feet, yes, and can bleed copiously. Um, there are actually the, tr- the Jewish tradition, very interesting. They have a very intense dreaming tradition 
they use control dreaming as a way of teaching, a way of meeting teachers, of, uh, you know, foretelling the future, this kind of thing. It's amazing uh, and unexpected. Uh, so the Sufis have a, a tradition of taming animals, uh, also of levitation in ways that uh, may go beyond you know, what we think of in other traditions. In Christianity, you see levitation is happening, the saints actually bodily uh, lifting off the ground. Right. Teresa Avila would have to tie her habit onto the railing of the, uh, in the church in order to keep herself from lifting up. Well, let, let, me, let me ask you, Doctor, in today's society, are there people who can actually levitate in front of uh, audiences or in controlled situations? I have to say that if it's happening, it's probably not happening. We don't see it in the Western traditions. Mm. And I don't think it's because we've lost the magic. It's because we've lost the tools or we don't have the settings in which we can use those tools, like intense focus of meditation, you know, where you are spending hours focusing on, say, the crown of thorns or, you know, so that so you're shifting reality in such a way. Uh, Joseph of Cupertino, every time he, he had meditated on the image of Virgin Mary to such a point that it, any time he even saw an image of her, he would begin to lift off the ground. But we don't have those kind of settings where people can dedicate themselves like this. But why not? And, but why not, Doctor? Why not? Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> when, when, when was this, when, when Cupertino was able to do this? Gee whiz, I don't know if I have that date right off the is, top of my is head. Is it in modern times? The, these, these happening like sort of across history, the 1300s, mm -hmm. the 1600s, 1700s. But, but with science, mm -hmm. we begin to have disbelief, and that's another factor. But weren't there a lot of charlatans in those earlier parts of history as well? Absolutely. Yeah. You really see that in Hinduism. Mm -hmm. There are particularly levitation. There is a lot of fakery. And it's really too bad. Yeah, it is. But how do we know that these events really did happen, that they are just not urban legends? Well, as is the case with, with other cross-cultural mm -hmm. an analysis, is you don't say, is this given situation true? You say, I'm looking for multiple situations in which this happened in this culture and then in other cultures. And because the number of them, uh, you know, you're finding a number of them in these different situations, then you begin to say, this is beginning to look like a true phenomenon. <laughs> Although in each individual case, you can say, mm -hmm. you know, well, maybe that was bogus. But but would those but would that phenomena still be happening today if in fact it was legitimate? Yes. And I is it? So. And is it? Um, this is what I one of the things I discovered doing this research mm -hmm. is that every tradition has these different states of consciousness. We think of them as something like body, mind, soul, right. but like the Hind Hindus have many more. So in order to have certain abilities, like mm -hmm. say manifestation or transformation, you have to be at the highest levels of spiritual consciousness. And you cannot, that's the only realm in which that's possible. So if 99.9% .9 of us are all located at normal waking consciousness and mm -hmm. cannot even begin 
to rise to that level, then no one is ever going to show it. So it's why, never going to be around us. So why would somebody yeah. want to rise to this level? Well, they're doing it in spiritual traditions in order to, you know, to go and merge with God or to to be in the presence of God, to be the to be in the uncreated light, the non-dual reality. Every tradition has their own words for it. Mm-hmm. And so for them it is a dedication of love and spirit to rising to this level. Okay. So I, I can I, I'm having a problem with this because if I understand it, there has been no evidence of these miracles in modern times, only in past times. And why are they not being exhibited or experienced in modern times is it you know and and just to say it's because the person doesn't have enough time to meditate or get to that higher spiritual level i i i can't understand the the rational behind that it's either you can or you can't well think of it this way okay for the longest time we thought that no one would ever break the four minute mile mm-hmm and True. people around the globe worked on that one, running <laughs> and yes. practicing. And when Roger Bannister did, yeah. he was actually in an altered state of intense focus of concentration. He was altering his state of consciousness, uh, and he practiced every single day to, you know, to get there. Sure. Uh, right. And many athletes actually do experience many of these abilities. And there's actually a oh, what is there's been a couple of books written collecting some mm-hmm. of these. Uh, abilities that different athletes, you know, like, uh, you know, this sort of the football player who reaches up to to get the ball and he's going to miss it, but somehow, and they have it on video, the ball changes trajectory and ends up in his hand. That's a kind of PK. But you don't, you know, everybody's kind of stunned and they don't really talk about it until they're, you know, except for within their own groups. And that's what you also see in other spiritual groups who are can be very protective of these kind of experiences, and they don't talk about it, or they think it's ego, or they think it's mm-hmm. so. It, so it's wrong to say to talk about it. So, are we saying that the paranormal that some people profess to have experienced is religious? Is is based on a person's religion and beliefs? Now, in terms of unique abilities. Yes, because it's grounded in their symbolism, their imagery, their beliefs, Mm -hmm. you know, on what the path is and all these things. So in that sense, yes. But the common abilities seem in many cases, particularly the paranormal and the physical abilities, seem to like arise out of the, you know, it's like cracks in the sidewalk. The grass is going to grow no matter what. All right, we're going to crack some sidewalks here because I've got to take my commercial break with the news. Please stand by. Exonation, Dr. Audrey Irvine is our guest. Uh, She's the author of Infinite Possibilities. It's available from Author House and on Amazon.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. Send me your emails, exxon at exxonradiotv.com, and check out the programming we have available for you at xzbn.net and simultv.com. I'll be back after this news break. Don't go away.
And welcome back, one and all. Dr. Audrey Irvine is our special guest. She's the author of Infinite Possibility. And for more, if, you know, if you'd like to get your very own copy, it's available at Author House, and you can also go to Amazon.com. All right, I find it very funny because you used the example of the person who uh, broke the one-minute mile or the four-minute right. mile, okay? Yeah, four-minute mile. All right. We can look at that and say, all right, the person practiced, practiced, and he wasn't the only per- person practicing to break the mile. Mm-hmm. But he didn't do anything that was supernatural. He did something that he trained physically and mentally for. We don't see people levitating or creating miracles in today's modern society, whereas in the 1800s, early 1900s, you had people who were making a lot of claims, including communicating with the dead, uh, the manifestation of uh, mana, and, and so on. So how come now, here we are going into the year 2020, we have all this technology available to us, we have science that is continuously expanding frontiers, and none of these so-called miracles are happening. Is it coincidence? No, I actually think part of it's what you were saying. Science turns its back, although in some ways it's been helpful, but mm-hmm. but science does not believe in these things. They believe that this is just quackery, and, and, they, and they penalize people professionally who try to study it, and there's a lot of suppression in the society on this kind of thing. But, so but, that is one big reason mm-hmm. why people do not believe in it. Well, and, it, it, would it we'll not be it. possible to, Pardon? would it not be possible to exhibit it to the masses if in fact it was really happening without the permission of science or the permission of any religious organization? Well, we have been doing that, and you know, at Princeton and mm-hmm. uh, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, we've right. got some really good science coming out showing that people are capable scientifically. They're mm-hmm. capable of of psychokinesis yeah. and uh, telepathy, and you know, uh, you know, all. As a matter of fact, they've even shown that we can alter the collapse of the the particle wave functions that can potentially be forming reality. Right, but in so the we science- have things happening that are really important but they don't get accepted in the mainstream but do you have people in these research areas levitating defying gravity you know that and and that's an interesting thing and i i want to point out again Mm -hmm. that in this hierarchy of consciousness there are like for example the physical abilities that we've studied in hypnosis and and we've seen in athletics and different things that are much easier to evoke. So if you want to talk about things like withstanding pain, mm-hmm. we've shown that if you hypnotize someone, they can keep their hand in a bucket of frigid ice water sure. for much, much longer mm-hmm. uh, with, and without feeling the pain. We, you know, you can talk about, um, you know, so, so these physical abilities are much easier to evoke by using strategies that shift states of consciousness. You can even... We even have a certain ready response with things like paranormal abilities, with the telepathy and psychokinesis and whatnot. But when you start to get to these things like levitation, mm-hmm. manifestation, invisibility, those are rare. Think of those as, you know, Olympic athletes. It across the globe, they mm-hmm. are very rare. 
And so to find them or to find people who have the capacity to uh, reach the states of consciousness in which they can be unfolded is very rare. But I would argue that it's happening. If, it, if it's that rare in the 20th century, 21st century, how do we know it even is capable of happening? How do we know, like I said, that this just is not a, this just isn't, just isn't a um, urban legend? I will agree with you that there are many reasons why people would build up, uh, you know, the, like sort of, oh, my guru is better than your yeah, guru exactly. kind of thing. <laughs> Mine can levitate, yours sure. can't, whatever. But at the same time, this is the power of us looking across other traditions. where we, Like, for example, the Catholic Church has, because of their efforts to identify saints, mm -hmm. have done a meticulous job of collecting these miracles and substantiating them in the community with eyewitnesses and, and all this. And we have this incredible historical record of this. Uh, and, and they show levitation. Uh, you know, and they show a lot of other things, you know, befriending animals like St. Francis or, you know, uh, you know, many others. Well, you know, you know befriending animals, different things, befriending animals, Crocodile Dundee did that as well. And he wasn't a saint. He was an actor. I understand that. But when you talk about uh, that aspect of, you know, uh, crocodiles or, or animals being befriended by humans, that doesn't seem to be a, such a, a miracle, you know. Uh, there are horse whisperers today. There are dog whisperers today. So how can we, I guess what I'm trying to understand is why we classify things in the past as miracles that cannot be replicated in the present. Oh, I think they are. I mean, right now we have a lot of people who are either have a talent for like animal communication mm -hmm. or are learning to develop animal communication. And there are some dramatic examples of, of, there's a woman in South Africa whose name I'm forgetting at the moment, and she she can go out amongst troops of wild baboons mm -hmm. and lay down with them, and you know they groom each other. <laughs> it's amazing to watch. Um, so this kind of thing is happening, and I think that amongst a certain groups of us, we are working on cultivating these. You see it in the healing professions, a lot being done with subtle energies, the perception of subtle energies, the use of subtle energies. But I think it's going to be a while before we see manifestation. Uh, although Sai Baba, you know, in India was doing manifestation left and right. So, uh, but we don't see it. It's very rare. And was there any scientific investigation done on Sai Baba as to how he was doing what he was doing? They were, in, in his example, I don't think that they, uh, beyond watching him, mm -hmm. they, I don't, I'm not sure that, that they did. Now, there's another uh, guru, Pilot Baba, and he is currently alive, and he has done a lot. He's allowed a lot of researchers. Like in one example in 2003, they locked him in an airtight glass enclosure, and he stayed in there for, I don't know, uh, you know, days, a week. And at two different times dur during while he was there, locked in this box, he became invisible. And he has they've been able to substantiate that he, he has been buried under the ground, he has been submerged in water, he's been all these things, and he is able to completely stop his heart 
and they've been able to measure this scientifically and show that he goes into meditation and he stops his heart and he's actually in this kind of suspended state. Mm -hmm. And then after however many number of days, he comes back and his heart starts very weakly to flutter and then it begins to beat and then he comes awake. Well, what is the, what is the philosophy or physiology behind meditation? How does it work? How does it work? And that is a big question. There's been some recent work done looking at monks and trying to find out what what their brainwave situation is. Mm -hmm. And it's still a very complex question. We know that physiologically, when you begin to meditate, it calms. It's like a stress reducer in the sense that it calms the body. And part of meditation that people don't perhaps understand is that is that you are focusing your concentration, your mind, on one thing. It can be a sound, it can be an image, it can be any number of things, but you are focusing your attention uh, you know, on one thing. And that concentrated focus of attention begins to close down the frontal cortex, the, you know, the judging analytical part, and then you begin to open up to experiencing other things, I'll just say. The right hemisphere comes open, and you begin to experience life through the right. Uh, you see this with remote viewing. I mean, there's another place where modern times through the CIA, you know, they were studying remote viewing, and they very quickly realized that the frontal cortex had to go, and they had to suspend all judgment and allow that right hemisphere to journey through time and space. But as far as I understand, the CIA did study remote viewing. It tried to use remote viewing, but the amount of success that was comparatively equal to the chance were about the same. So they decided, well, you know, it's not the exact science that we thought it was. The problem with working with the right hemisphere, mm -hmm. the left hemisphere feels very comfortable to us because you can measure everything, you can control everything, it's very linear and understandable. Yeah. The right hemisphere uses holistic imagery. Knowledge often comes in as a, a like a gestalt, a one thing, and, and then it has to be interpreted in order to, to like sort of uh, understand what all this ball of information is about. So it tends to be nonlinear and emotional. All right, Doctor, and, I hate to do this, but you and, I, in a sense. you and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. And ExoNation, oh. our guest this hour is Dr. Irvine, um, I'm sorry, Dr. Audrey Irvine, who has her PhD. And if you'd like to uh, find out more information on how you can get a copy of her book in, called Infinite Possibility. Go to AuthorHouse or Amazon.com, and we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
Anyway, welcome back, Exonation. Dr. Audrey Urbine Irvine is our special guest. Uh, she's the author of Infinite Possibility. It's available through Author House as well as Amazon. Where does where does the paranormal and science presently um, part the waves? For example, when we talk about paranormal, we talk about psychic phenomena, we talk about tarot, we talk about reading crystal balls, we talk about ghost hauntings, exorcism, things that go bump in the night. Where do you as a professional draw a line or is this all part of of what you think is the paranormal? Well, I think first off we have to approach things with some skepticism. Mm -hmm. That said, I suspect that what we're seeing here are different tools through which you can focus consciousness and uh, become open to certain kinds of information. So I would not throw anything out without us, because we are really just starting to, uh, to, to change our understanding of what consciousness is. And a lot of the physics work, of course, has you know, been pointing us in these new directions that are not limited to the materialistic world that we've understood, the sort of Isaac Newton way of understanding reality. So at this point, I would not mm -hmm. throw out anything, but we have to be skeptical because of the people who will do fraudulent activities. Right. Um, but I think that there's a lot to be learned. We look across these these different abilities, and there's an underlying pattern of shifting, dissociating with consciousness to open up to certain spaces and to receive certain kinds of information. So in your professional opinion, when you are, you know, or, or when you listen to people talk about quantum mechanics, quantum physics, and multiple uh, multi-universes, multiple realities. Do you think that is, in fact, what is happening? And does this, in fact, explain some of the unknown phenomenon that are presently being investigated by consciousness investigators and researchers? I do think that this work is very important. Mm -hmm. We have, it's opening up a lot of different theoretical possibilities. Uh, and, you know, I applaud that because we, we can locked in our current way, way of understanding reality. We are not making progress. We, you know, I mean, we can make progress by saying, oh, well, look, there are all these people that have had these abilities, but we are not making progress into understanding the nature of mind. Uh, except for slowly, very slowly, we are. But um, uh, I applaud the directions we are going. But I, I, this is my personal belief that science would be better off spending more time, research, resources, and money on on solving the problems that affect the masses instead of trying to establish whether or not consciousness does exist in multiple universes or multiple realities. Uh, what will this add to the, the, the people of the world? How will this fix anything? Fundamentally, I think that humans, in certain ways, will always be humans. I mean, this duality of light and dark, we're mm -hmm. going to be playing out no matter what. But I think that we, um, there is a possibility or a potential of humanity that we have not 
explored. And I do think that it, there is a possibility here of these states of consciousness to be able to transverse them easier than we used to be able to. Certainly, as we learn what techniques you need are most effective. Um, so I, I, you know, I think I, I'm, I guess I can understand what you're saying about wanting to focus on the more difficult issues of humanity. And I don't think it has to be an either or kind of thing. We're certainly not putting a lot of resources into paranormal research (laughs) to have to really worry about. But but I I guess my I guess my 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 point is, how will this help humanity? Well, um, you know, that's a good question. What if it turns out that we can do healing? in more effective, more benign, uh, gentler ways, wouldn't that be better than having to use, you know, pharmaceuticals that cause all kinds of of side effects? Um, There are many positive things that these extraordinary abilities have been used for over time. Some of them are historical things that we wouldn't need now in the face of technology. But other things, you know, um, I don't know. What, what out-of-body travel? I mean, where could you travel? If you, I mean, it may not help humanity in that sense. But I do think that, you know, there may be some um, ability to contact one another or to be linked with one another uh, in more meaningful ways. Uh, you know, whether it's through controlled dreaming or, or through some of these uh, paranormal activities. I think it can enrich and deepen our experiences with one another. I think through things like clairsentience, I can feel what you're feeling. And so, therefore, I'm not so likely to stomp on your foot or injure you in some way because I'm going to know it, you know. And uh, and so I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of possibility and it would change and unfold our culture but, in some really new directions. But isn't that manipulating the human factor? In what way? Well, you're, you, you know... You can feel, you can travel out of body, you can, you can use what some people believe are actual abilities. And yet, if we were supposed to know this, wouldn't it be inherent to each and every one of us? And wouldn't those who have this ability or who train to have this alleged ability, aren't they trying to tamper with the human factor or the God factor? No, I think that this is basically human. This is fundamentally human. And as we've gone into this technological society, in many ways, it's like deadening us out. One of the things about these abilities is the possibility of understanding a richness of existence that we are shutting the door on. So are we and saying that this is our, this is our uprising against technology? No, it's an opening to a greater potential of 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 humanness. Mm-hmm. This is who we are. We are we are the capable of these things, and it's not in a consumeristic way of oh you know oh well I'm going to be able to do you know check off the boxes. It, it's more like if you think about the animal communicators and the richness and the the um, subtle energy experience that comes with many of these experiences are much deeper than the kind of and it's not in retaliation it's merely to say life could be this is an attribute that we share as humans and if we open to it it can make our lives deeper and richer and uh, and maybe more spiritually uh, attainable i guess but what effect will this have the, on the day-to-day humanistic 
events that we all need to do, our jobs, our schools, our interaction with our families. You know, how is this going to affect it? And are the pros greater than the cons or are the cons greater than the pros? Well, that's an interesting question because, like I said, I think that the duality will Mm -hmm. come with us and that we would have to establish ethics and, you know, a a moral system around these kind of behaviors if we chose to go in that direction. Uh, And I don't know at this point. I mean, I think that history shows that many of these things are used and developed for the community. I mean, like the shamans, for example, I mean, they use their out-of-body stuff to – you know, see predators, to connect with friends, make sure they're doing okay, to herd animals or locate them for food for the hunters. They, and they do, all traditions do healing of their people. It is actually fairly rare to hear about anything negative that because the, the traditions tend to shut that down very quickly. Uh, now, I don't know yeah. what that would mean in our culture uh, that's much more secular. But, um, you know, I think that the pattern is, is that, it has been applied for the well-being of, of people. But it would be a lot of questions, that's for sure. Yeah, that's... Who's going to change the weather? <laughs> you know? For whom? It, it, aren't, we try, aren't we then walking on the line of trying to play God by changing the weather? Like, it, where, where does it stop? Where does man's quest and hunger for power and godliness stop? And at what cost? Well, this is interesting because the spiritual traditions are very clear that part of this changing of consciousness Mm -hmm. has to be about letting go of a lot of these ego things that you're talking about. So the the, uh, road to greed through greed and power and all that is stripped away to as great a degree as possible in these traditions. And and people like the shaman you see this really clearly that they yeah. are required in their training to to delve deeply into their fears and it's almost like psychoanalysis for the shaman <laughs> and they you know so so part of this process is not going to be happening to people who you know who are deeply tied to to their ego self uh, it's it, it, it's it, you're, we will be changing our state of consciousness in many many ways, not just in terms of the paranormal. All right, Doctor, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure having you with us. And Nation, if you'd like to uh, get a copy of Infinite Possibility by our guest this hour, Doctor Audrey Irvine, just go to AuthorHouse or Amazon.com. Now, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Send me your emails, X-Zone at xzoneradiotv.com. Visit www.xzbn.net for all the local programming and for the X-Zone TV channel, simultv.com. about Paws of Fury. It's the most fun comedy of the summer. I am your father. What? No, I'm not. (laughs) 
Michael Sarah. It's showtime. And Samuel L. Jackson. What the mother father kind of spaniel's going on here? Pause of Fury. Only in theaters this Friday. Rated PG.